Hey guys, this is Pastor Mark Warren from Church at the Crossroads. Thank you for checking out our podcast. My prayer is that you're encouraged and challenged as you hear, understand, and obey God's Word today. Well, praise the Lord. We are, I'm excited to uh, be closing out our study of the book of Romans, and we've, we've had quite a journey in Romans, and I've been encouraged by the positive feedback that I have received. We started off in uh, the first chapters, and Paul talked about our condition, how that we needed Christ, and he laid down God's plan of salvation. And then we, um, we went on and we studied how to, to grow in Christ. And then these last chapters, we've been looking at service. And I know somebody told me, they said, wow, you know, last week's sermon seemed a lot like the week before. And they do sound similar because Paul is, is really driving home this point. And today we are going to uh, finish it. And we pray for those who serve with our children and thank God for our 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 workers with the children, and we recognize the importance of uh, children and youth ministry and thankful for that opportunity. I was fortunate to grow up in a um, church where we had a youth group, we had children's program, we memorized scripture, we went on mission trips, we went on ski trips, and it was a big part of um, laying down the foundation for my faith, and I'm excited that we are we're doing this and thankful and grateful for each person that uh, invests time in the lives of our children and youth. As we look at serving with others in Romans 16, which you can barely see, uh, we are in chapter 16 of Romans, the last chapter, and um, just want to review. This is from Ephesians. Paul said, so Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Also in Romans 12, we looked at this a few weeks ago. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, do so cheerfully. So Paul's understanding of ministry is that we are saved to serve and that every member in the body of Christ has a spiritual gift, some many gifts, and that we should use our spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ. And what that does is when people are broken, when people are hurting, other members of the body build them up. Paul wrote, the weak are built up by the strong. If you're strong, build up the weak. And that's how the body functions. 
It is, uh, it is it's a teamwork. And people are working together to serve Christ, to serve one another. And that's what Paul taught in Ephesians, Galatians, Romans. Throughout his writings, you see this clear teaching of uh, ministry. So today, Paul kind of stops. And at the end of his uh, book to the Romans, a church that he had not been to, he kind of goes over some people that he's thankful for. He recognizes some people who've served with him in ministry. And, and one thing, you know, I, I pray is that as you serve, that you know that you are, you know, we are grateful. Each, each one of us is grateful. You know, I, I got the opportunity when I was teaching school, I got the opportunity to tutor many students and help them. And then when my girls got to be older, there were people in their lives who taught them how to play the drums, taught them how to play the piano. And I remember thinking, you know, I have helped others, and now others are helping me. And, and, and one day, you know, it could be that, you know, uh, Ivy or Chloe could, could help Tyler's children learn music or something. And that's kind of how it works. You know, Blake could be helping, you know, his children learn. Is we give and we receive. And it keeps going. You know, we invest in the young. You know, Tyler and I, we were talking this morning about um, touring. You know, uh, we've been talking to Seventh Day Slumber about a possible concert. And I was talking to Tyler about that. And he was saying, you know, touring on the road like that is a young man's game. You know, and we were just joking about it. You know, we serve and then others come along and serve. And, and I've heard people talk about, you know, well, Buddy and Zach sound similar when they play music. You know, we pass things on and we recognize those who serve and we're grateful for them. The person that you help might help you one day. Their children might help you. You know, the neat thing is, is I see, uh, you know, I'm teaching in Suffolk and, and I saw, you know, a young man came up to me one day and he goes, hey, Mr. Warren. And I remember I hadn't seen him, you know, since sixth grade. He was in my sixth grade class. And now he's got a little boy running around. And I'm thinking, I know that little boy is going to be a handful. You know, he's going he's gonna to be full of energy. And, you know, his dad raced motorcycles and, and broke a bunch of bones. And he was just wide open. And I used to tell him, you know, I, I was like, Devin, when you play football, you you got to take it easy on people. You're going to get yourself in trouble and me in trouble. We can't play tackle football out here. So I know his young man is going to be tough, and he's going to be aggressive, and he's going to be sports-minded. We pass things on, and we serve, and then others serve us. And Paul recognized those who served in ministry. He tells us about Phoebe. He says, I recommend to you our sister Phoebe who is a servant of the church, which is at Censoria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever, whatever matter she may have need of. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. He mentions Priscilla and Aquila. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. 
this ministry couple, you know, and if you're here today and, you know, your husband and wife, I encourage you to work through the challenges of doing ministry with your spouse, to serve the Lord together, to encourage one another, to realize that the devil is going to attack you. Because you, you, know, you are effective as a couple. Now, you, if you're single, you can serve the Lord as a single person. That's awesome. But if you're married, you know, make serving the Lord part of your, your relationship where you encourage one another. I get great feedback from my wife. You know, I'll say, Amy, come look at this. Tell me what, you know, and she'll make suggestions, you know. Sometimes there's, you know, there's been times when I've been discouraged and my wife has encouraged me. There's been time when, believe it or not, I actually left out a detail. Can you believe that? I left out a detail and my wife would point that out to me and help me with that. Our wives, our spouses can be a great source of help. And this was the example. This was the case with Priscilla and Aquila. And they were uh, a couple that were successful in ministry helping the Gentiles, reaching out to other people. He says, greet also the church that meets at their house. They established a, a house church. Greet my dear friend, uh, Abnepius, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andricus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They were imprisoned for their faith. They were outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So these people had served the Lord. Paul, you know, recognized their service and their, their loyalty to Christ, and, and we should recognize those. You know, you should have a special place in your heart for those who were in Christ before you. When you get saved, don't think you know, suddenly, you know, you're all brand new and you know everything. Show respect to those. I remember becoming a Christian and at 15 years old in my immaturity, you know, I thought, well, good grief. My mom and dad don't do much for the Lord. You know, what's their problem? You know, why aren't they on fire for the Lord? Why aren't they doing more? And as I've gotten older, I realized they were doing a lot more than I realized. The fact that they stayed the course, the fact that they were faithful, the fact that they were consistent and stable. I should have been honoring them in that regard, not comparing myself, not thinking that they were not zealous or not. I didn't realize that sometimes people talk a lot more than they do. It's those who are steady and faithful and consistent and loyal that will make the greatest impact. Stability is so important in ministry and being a peacemaker. I didn't realize and, and appreciate how many times my dad supported the pastor and helped quench a dissension or a disagreement and try to smooth things over and help people get along. I didn't realize the importance of prayer, that my mom put as much energy into praying as a lot of people put into serving and teaching and preaching. Not that those things are not important. Those things are very important. But many people underestimate the power and the value of prayer. And she was consistent in praying and believing in prayer. So honor people who, who've grown in the faith and who preceded you and I in the faith. Show respect. That, that helps build up the body when we're slow to criticize and we're quick, 
to appreciate and respect and honor. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity, whose faithfulness to Christ has stood the test. Do you realize your faith? Notice what Paul's saying. Your faith is going to be tested. Your faith will be tested. If you are following Christ and you're committed to Christ, you will go through trials, tribulations, and tests. And this uh, person here, Apelles, has been faithful to Christ and stood the test. That's our goal. Not some, you know, exaggerated view of reaching all the things that, you know, I believe God sees our potential. He wants to do great things through us. But I do believe that if we are to live godly in this age, we're going to suffer, suffer some form of persecution and challenge. And that being faithful should be our goal. That we should say, it is my goal to be faithful to Christ, come whatever may. You know, greet those who belong to the household or Artabulus. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household or Artabulus. Don't know why I repeated that, but I did. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Typhina and Typhosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Notice that when they mention the women, they're always talking about the labor and the hard work. You know, notice that, that pattern that these women are being uh, faithful. They're hardworking in the Lord. Greet my dear friend, Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. You know, we are, we are challenged as men to read this. Every man should read Romans 16 and say, may I work as hard as these women to serve the Lord. Can we, we cannot overlook the fact that the majority of the people in this passage that Paul mentioned were women who were working hard in the church. You can go into almost any church in this area, and in that church you will see the hardest workers are often women. And I take that as a challenge. As a man, we should be challenged. We should be inspired to say, you know what? We need to carry our weight. We need to step up to the plate and do for the Lord. As you know, they, It's that mentality. They jump in and do what is necessary. And they don't worry all the time about who gets the credit. But it needs to be done, so someone has to do it. And we have to pick up some of that mantle to do that sort of service for the Lord and to work hard in the Lord and to follow this example that is so encouraging. Also, it says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Now, I realize, you know, there's some statistics out there that say that if there's a father who loves the Lord in the house, it's more likely that the child will follow Christ. And I know that's what the statistics say, but I look through Scripture and I see examples of many women, godly women, like the mother of, or the grandmother of Timothy, this mother here, who inspired their child. And if you're here today, you know, as a single mom, you know, or you know someone who's a single mom, they don't need to throw in the towel. They need to believe that with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord, they can, do, they can do what God needs to be done in that home to raise that child to be a godly man or woman. 
We can't give up. We can't look at statistics and say, well, that's the end of that. It's not going to be successful. We have to have faith. We have to believe the word of God that if you and I will commit ourselves to the Lord and we will serve the Lord with our whole heart, if we will be secure in our relationship with Christ, if we will seek to grow in Christ and serve him with our whole heart and labor in the Lord, that God will bless that work and that it will bear spiritual fruit in the lives of our children and in the lives of those we care for and love. It is our joy in life. Serving the Lord is a passion. You know, Chuck and I have been uh, talking about the seventh-day slumber and organizing, you know, trying to work together a concert. And it's been some work, but it's work that we love. It's work that we enjoy. It is a passion. The people who serve, who teach, you know, I'm preparing sermons. I'm speaking tonight. I'm studying the scripture. I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. It is a passion. I love being able to teach and share the word of God. And God wants to take your passions and your desires that are in the context of ministry and equip you for service and get you motivated and on fire for him and out of your shell and out of your comfort zone. And it is a passion, not a burden. If it is a burden, then something's not right. You know, talk to somebody. Let somebody encourage you. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. When Paul talks about these people, he's fired up. He's not miserable. He's not moaning and groaning about ministry. He's sitting there and he's having fond memories. He's getting excited. When I start thinking about opportunities to share the gospel in times that I have been with other men and we've shared the gospel with someone, I get excited. I love to see people come to Christ. I love to see people rededicate their life to Christ. I love to see people ask for you know, help and encouragement to grow spiritually. It is a wonderful thing when people grow in the Lord and are encouraged and built up. And God wants us to serve in joy and passion and with zeal to, in, in faith, believing that what we invest into ministry, God will bless because of his great name, not because we're great at it, not because we are you know, uh, unique, but because we are faithful. You know, I was... Uh, Seeing a friend of mine, I saw a friend of mine uh, Friday night. I took Chloe to visit one of her friends, and I got to revisit with a friend of mine who came in the very beginning of our ministry here at Crossroads. And they were here, you know, and there were it was about 15 or 20 people coming at the time. And, and when we were here, you know, we were thinking, well, God, we want to reach people. We want to see the church grow. We want to... Uh, be able to serve and, and, and do those things. But, you know, I was sharing with Brenda this morning, you know, the thing is, is whether it's 10 or whether it's 50 or 60 or however many, the joy and the passion is the same. Because one person is as important as 100 people. Each person is important. And each person in this room represents an opportunity to reach the world. Because there's no limit to what one person can do for Christ. 
there's no limit. You know, and you don't know what the person you encourage or help is capable of for the Lord. You know, people are capable, you know, I've looked at people and said, wow, you know, when this student is not here, the class is a lot better. I did not realize they were that capable of disturbing a whole classroom. Well, just as people can make things bad, people can make things good. One person can make a big difference and have a huge impact on a workplace, you know, on a school, on a classroom. You know, they can have a great impact for Christ. And each person is valuable. And Paul recounts each person and each friendship and each relationship with just tenderness and warmth as he thinks about the joy of serving with these people. He says, greet Five different people that are hard to pronounce. Atrus, Philagon, Hermas. Her, yeah, they mentioned Hermis and Hermas. What a trip. And the other brothers and sisters with them. I'm thinking that the other ones had even more difficult names, so he didn't even bother. <laughs> Greet Philagos, Julia, Nereus, and his sister in Olympus. And all the Lord's people were with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Paul also warned in this passage, so he mentions all these people that are a blessing. Now he's going to talk about people that are a lesson. People are either a blessing or a lesson. And Paul warns against these people who hurt others, but they remain anonymous. In this epistle, he didn't call them out and name them by name. Sometimes he names them. Sometimes he'll say, watch out for so-and-so. You know, he'll name the person. He didn't do it in Romans. But he does describe, okay, so you hear all of this encouragement. And we say, I want to be like all of these people. Okay, now he's going to tell us what he doesn't want us to be like. Let's look at the type of person that Paul actually warns the church against. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions. What's that look like? People who divide people against one another. I remember playing baseball and basketball, and we would get out there and we would play at recess and we'd go back to the classroom and somebody would say, you know, so-and-so said that you were kind of slow running around the bases. And then they'd go over there and say, you know, so-and-so said that you don't pitch that well. And so-and-so said this, and before you know it, everybody's fighting. And everything's interrupted and there's chaos. Because they're, did you hear this? Did you hear what so-and-so said? You know, it's, it's divisive. And they put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the, to the teachings that you've learned. Keep away from them. I tell you, as a, as a math teacher, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to explain things to people that are difficult sometimes. They have a hard time with it. And one thing I realized is when you're explaining the more difficult things, you got to get the people who want to help you who don't know what they're doing to kind of just be quiet. Because you're explaining something and somebody will blurt out, I know an easy way. And you're thinking, okay, when you get past a 60, you can share that. You know, I don't need your easy way. No, no, don't. And when you're trying to teach people how to follow Christ, when you're trying to teach people how to come to Christ and have a relationship with Christ, you know, there are people in the church that have easier ways and they try to pull people away 
from the teaching of God's Word. And they'll say, well, you know, I don't care about what the Bible says. What I think is this. Or I know the Bible says that, but, you know, it's 2022. And, and this is what I'm doing. That divides people and that pulls people away because they're teaching something contrary to the Word of God. And Paul says, keep away from them. Avoid those Avoid being close to those people. They will pull you away from Christ. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. And you know what? Our, our own appetites entice every one of us. We are drawn by self-interest. We are motivated to please ourselves. That comes very natural. We want to please ourselves. In fact, Christ says, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and come follow me. So as a Christian, we have to be intentional to saying no to our flesh. We have to realize that we, we have some good qualities and we have potential and we have a relationship with Christ and we're forgiven and we have the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we have a human nature that has weak, some weaknesses and if we feed those weaknesses and if we avoid correction and accountability at all costs and just do things our way, we will slowly drift away from the Lord. And in the context of the church, we will not be helpful. We will not be building the team. We will be tearing the team down. Because if you're hurting and you're not dealing with your brokenness and your hurt and pain, in a way that is honoring to God, you might hurt, hurting people hurt others. People that are bitter and unforgiving and hurt will hurt people in a body, you know? And we have to try to help people and encourage people. But the thing is, is when we give in to our own desires that are contrary to Scripture, we will actually pull people away from Christ. Paul writes, for search, such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Naive people. A lot of times people, you know, if you go somewhere and you see someone and they're a total stranger and they walk up to you and they start acting like they know you and they start flattering you and saying nice things and being smooth, you, you, you start watching your wallet. You know what's coming. They're going to ask you for money or something. They're, they're moving in such a way. You don't know that person, but they're moving really fast. They're really smooth, and they're, they're complimenting you and trying to woo you in and deceive you, and it's the same thing in the body of Christ. There are people who are deceptive, and the only way to guard against that is to know the truth of God's Word, is to to read the Word so that you know and you can discern when you hear something and you say, wait a minute, that does not sound like the Scripture. That sounds like a twisting or a turning. If somebody says, you know, there are people that you run into and, you know, and they start attacking, you know, their, their church or someone in the church and they just start right away. And, you know, the thing is what I've learned is I've prayed about this and I said, you know what? You say, I don't know this person from Adam, and they're criticizing someone that I have a relationship with. That should be, well, have you, have you talked to them? 
That sounds like a personal matter between you and that person. Entertaining dissension and criticism of other people, people that lead with criticism, that's always a danger. It doesn't mean that it's not true. It doesn't mean that they're not hurt and need you know, healing and all of those things. But what it tends to do at the end of the day is drift people away from Christ. You know, if we will focus on Christ and building, if we will focus on helping a person grow in Christ and come to Christ and serve Christ and build Christ up, you know, we will have accomplished more than constantly being focused focused on things that are not going to build up people. How can we serve God effectively? With these things in mind, how can you and I serve God effectively in our local church? Number one, we can appreciate those who serve others. You know, I I look around and I see people serving in the church. And even though I try to encourage people, I try to recognize people, I try to you know, show appreciation to people, I'm sure I fall short of doing that. Help me with that. When you see people serving and building up other people, let's be quick to notice those things and encourage people and try to look around and think, is there someone that we are missing? Is it someone that we've overlooked? And try to encourage people, you know, so that they keep... um, Keep on going. I, it was just this week, and I, you know, my memories failed me. I was, I was discouraged about something. I, it wasn't here in the church. It was at school. I was discouraged about something, and you know, someone came up to me and and started um, just just showing appreciation, and it helped so much. You know, I um, I took on teaching a guitar class this year, and it's been a lot of work. It was ten kids in there. And it was a lot of trying to get all the guitars tuned. And, and then they asked me to play for this uh, fundraiser. And it was a lot of pressure and a lot of work. And it's like I have everything to lose and nothing to gain. <laughs> you know, it, it, was a lot, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of work. And it was a lot of pressure on me. And I don't typically talk about stuff. I keep it in. And I'm just trying to do this. And after it was all said and done, you know, uh, you know, so many people said nice things, and, and we were sitting in a staff meeting, and, and the lady that organized it said, I just want to stop it. I just want to thank Mark. And it's like, you know, that that is priceless, something like that. And I know how much that means. We should do that more often to one another. You know, the person who does that is as important as the person who receives that. What that person did is that that gives you strength. That builds you up. That makes you go get some new books for the next year. That makes you work a little harder on learning something. That makes you think, you know, you might be ready to give up. And that, that soft, complimentary word, that encouragement, builds you up to regroup and do it even better. Because, you know, things are not, always great the first time things aren't great the second time but if you will do something five times or ten times five years ten years 20 years if you will be faithful in ministry if you will commit to the long term if you want to say lord 
what can I, like my brother has a 10-year plan for the church that he's at. He's got a 10-year plan, and he's six years older than me. He's got a 10-year plan. If you will think, now, Lord, you could come tomorrow, and I know I'm trusting you for the future, but I'm looking long-term. I'm looking, what could I build if I had 20 years to build something, or 10 years? And not just the quick and easy and the quit when it gets tough mentality. If you will think of being faithful for a lifetime, what could you accomplish in 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years? If you look at life like that, instead of thinking, I got one week, I got one month, that's the way the enemy thinks. You're going to go out on a Friday night and blow all your money, drink as much as you can, party as much as you can, try to get it all in, and then wake up in the morning completely trashed. That's the mindset of the enemy. The Christian mindset is to build something priceless, something eternal that will outlast you, to build into a child, to build into a youth, a person, someone that you will pray for, someone that you will invest in, someone that you will build up for a lifetime and in God's mind for eternity. That's what's important. Appreciate those who serve in that way and be one who serves in that context to think long-term, because you, you know, it might not go well the first time, might not go well the second time. You know, we're, we'll be doing the third coffee house. The first one was good, you know, we're building. But if we look at it, where could this ministry be if Jesus tarries, because we don't know the future. If Jesus tarries, what could this ministry look like in five years? How many people could we build up how many people can we teach to play the guitar in five years? You know, I'm, I'm excited because I started, you know, working with Dennis this week and I saw that first chord, you know, that first E chord. It's exciting every time to see someone do the E chord, the D chord, you know. What can we accomplish if we think long term? How many people, you know, can be reached and built up and equipped with a skill that they can use to serve others, that they can you know, honor the Lord with, if we think long-term and not short-term. Also, teach your family and others how to serve. Most of you in this room are serving the Lord pretty hard. You're working hard. Are you teaching others or are you doing it all for them? Are you, you know, I've watched people and, you know, I've seen moms and dads do everything around the house and, and, and sit there and look at a teenage son just sitting there watching them. God doesn't want us to do things like that. If you're working, help others to work. Teach your family. Teach your friends. Teach others to, to lend a hand and to be involved in ministry as well. Don't do it all yourself. Teach others. Show them how. Train them and step back and let them do it. And then you can go on to another ministry. Train others and teach them. Honor those who sacrifice to help others. Paul talked about the sacrifice of Priscilla and Aquila. Each one of these people that he mentioned sacrificed their time and their money. You know, I think of our, our dear friend Greg Goss who passed away uh, this week. 
And I remember the first time Amy and I met him, we were trying to uh, sell a newsletter that we were doing as a business idea. We were uh, coming up, we were trying to be creative with paying the bills. You realize, you know, there's, it's a struggle sometimes as a married couple with a family paying all your bills. And we were, we were hustling, working at this, and we met him and he graciously helped us and tried to, he referred us to other people. You know, I, I talked to him each time we went to the Bible study at Beachwood, and he was, he realized that I love baseball, and he would bring up some os- obscure baseball fact, and he would say, do you remember, you know, Ernie Banks, or do you remember, you know, Ron Say, or something, and I said, Greg, you're like the only person, you and Mike Felton are the only two people that I could have this conversation with about these obscure baseball players, and he knew them all, and I enjoyed his, his conversation, I enjoyed his encouragement, his graciousness, you know, honor those, and, and, you know, I was saddened by his death, but it was an honor to know him, and he was a person who was a friendly person and when we serve and when we help people and we have godly friendships and we build uh, godly relationships we are building God's kingdom and we're honoring Christ watch out for those who cause division pray for them and if you're in a position of authority over them correct them don't allow them to don't allow them to dominate in a ministry that you lead. You know, exercise your God-given authority. In the classroom, that means correct them. Send them out of the class. You know, if, you know in a school, that's how you do it. In a church, you go about it a little differently. You know, you speak the truth in love. You correct them. But don't ignore divisive behavior. And don't expect other people. We don't, you know, in doing ministry... You know, we want to be loving and kind and supportive, but we want to protect people. We want to protect people from those who would hurt them. And we're not being, you know, we're not being loving and kind if we allow people to do ungodly, selfish behavior that affects other people. You know, you would not be a good, a good parent if you allowed one child to hurt the other. You know, part of your responsibility, part of your authority is to correct. And in the church, you know, there needs to be, you know, correction from time to time. And it's done in a godly manner. It's done with accountability. And it certainly can be abused. But to ignore behavior that is hurting other people is foolish. And when churches do that, it eventually is exposed and comes to the surface. And it's a problem. So we have to respond to things that are ungodly and deal with them. It's not pleasant. Nobody likes to do that. Some people do it more comfortably than other people. And the thing is, is some people, you know, maybe their parents were so strict and so harsh that they just try to go through life thinking there's never need to correct anybody. I know people that say, oh, I would never fuss at my child. I would never spank them. I would never correct them. I just let them do what they want. I trust them. Well, how's that working for you? You know? I mean, we all come at that a little differently, but the extremes are not healthy. 
To overcorrect is not healthy, and to never correct is not healthy. And it's the same thing in the church. You know, we need to strike a balance. If you're a ministry leader, and there's someone in that particular ministry that's hurting the ministry, you know, you speak to them in love and in a kind way. You pray about it, and you try to uh, steer people towards making godly decisions for the common good. Know the truth so that you will not be deceived. Know the Word of God. Study the Scripture. I encourage you, you know, we have uh, a great system that's working for us is we teach God's Word on Sunday, and then on Wednesday night we come back and we study God's Word as a group and discuss it in a small group. And so you can dig into it. You know, like we are in... um, Romans, we're finishing that, so Wednesday night, we're going to cover Romans 16 in Bible study on Wednesday night. Uh, Next week, uh, Pastor Jacob will be here. Amy and I will be in Philadelphia with the youth of the church. We're taking them to a conference, so I encourage you to pray for us. They're going down there to an apologetics conference, and that'll be a time when they can be built up in their their faith. Uh, The following week will be April And Lord willing, we're going to start a series called Eyewitness where we look at uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account of the resurrection. And then on the following Wednesday of each week, we'll, we'll go over that and discuss that. The goal is that you would know the Word of God, that you would uh, hear the Word of God and read the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit would give you understanding and that you would respond and obey God's Word And little by little, God's word would change you. How do I know if I am serving Christ or myself? How do I know that? Number one, are you motivated by the love of Christ? If you're motivated by the love of Christ, God's going to work out the little details. If you truly love Christ and you want to love and build up other people, then your service is going to be pleasing to the Lord. If it's off a little, you will be teachable and God will steer you to get where you need to be. Number two is, do I serve with humility? Are you serving to get recognition? To You know, we want to recognize people, but the goal of service is not to get recognition. The goal of service is to honor Christ. If we serve with humility, we're patient, and we wait for God to honor and encourage us in his timing. Because you might serve for a season and feel like nobody notices. Without humility, it's difficult to serve long term. Humility is so important in, in ministry. You know, we ask, the Bible says, humble ourselves. It says, humble ourselves and the Lord will exalt us. You know, to, to humble ourselves. Number three, am I willing to sacrifice for Christ and others? When you serve, you know, it takes time. It takes effort. And sometimes in that service, uh, it gets difficult. But if you're willing to sacrifice, you, you run, run the course. And I think we're at the place where we can go ahead and get the uh, worship team up here. And we're, we're thankful for uh, them and for their their service. We're either serving Christ or ourselves. 
Jesus says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As you evaluate your service, as you take time to evaluate your service for Christ, some of you are going to be too hard on yourself and feel like you're not doing enough. I encourage you to pray and ask God to help you and not to not to let the enemy make you guilty. If you're if you feel like you're doing too much, I encourage you to trust the Lord for his strength and maybe look at cutting back in your service and spending more time with the Lord so that you can serve in joy. If you're not sure, I encourage you to pray and seek the Lord and pray for his wisdom to um, to be faithful, to get feedback from other people, but to serve as an expression of your love for Christ, to focus on your relationship with Christ, to focus on growing in Christ, and just simply ask, Lord, where do you want me to serve and be involved? How do you want me to serve, serve you at work? And allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and to understand that the point of this uh, message that Paul had in God's word is to encourage and recognize those who are serving to give us a little teaching and warning about some bad motives in serving so that we can correct that and ask the Holy Spirit to get rid of any of that selfishness and to fill us with the love of Christ and to recognize that our service is a joy and that through our service as a local church, as a universal church, through our service for the Lord, God's going to do great things. That he'll take a little and make it even greater because God is alive. He's not dead. Greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in the world. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us so that we serve not in our own strength, but we serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's a joy, and that's why we're confident that in Christ we will be victorious. Thanks for joining us today. Visit us at crossroadsahoski.com for more information, additional resources, and service times.